What makes a hero? According to philosopher and scholar Joseph Campbell, a hero is an archetypal figure who takes a journey from his or her ordinary world, goes out on adventure, through a decisive crisis wins a victory, then returns home transformed with gained wisdom to offer others. This podcast explores real people, real stories, and the pivotal moments that changed the course of their lives forever. Death teaches us, and, and so it, as a nurse, I had seen it. I had picked, I had, it was, you know, babies, old people, every age in between. I had seen what death looked like for another person. I really did not know or understand what it was until I lived without Justin for first a day, and then a week, and then a month, and then years. And now it's been 17 years, and death is still teaching me. After 18 plus years, I ran into Lisa DeLong at a memorial service for the 27-year-old son of a mutual friend. That day, we inducted another mom into the club of which Lisa and I had been members for many years, mothers who have lost their child to cancer. We both shared the knowing of what the days ahead would be like for this newly grieving mom. The shock, the emptiness, the seemingly endless tears, the search for meaning, and the now what. I'm Belinda Lambs, and this is The Moment When. Lisa DeLong is an international speaker, author, spiritual teacher, cannabis nurse, ballroom dancer, a wife, and a mom. She inspires audiences with a powerful reconnect to purpose message using writing prompts, salsa dancing, and humor. Audiences are transformed as they recognize the value of their life experience and remember who they truly are. Her memoir, Blood Brothers, is touching the heart of readers all over the world and is required reading for nursing students. I was trying to just remind myself how we know each other and our kind of connection from history. What do you remember? I remember us being at Heart of the Canyons Church. Your little Aria was there. And Justin was in junior high, I believe he was in like, I think he was in seventh grade or so, maybe a little younger than that. And, um, you know, he was the success story, the leukemia survivor. And I remember meeting you and thinking, oh, my heart just immediately went out to you that you were in the throes of treatments and the what all of that meant. I remember um, telling Justin to, you know, Go tell Aria, you know, something encouraging, like, you did it. Like, you went through all that. Now look how big you are. He was friendly, but, but, but kind of a shy kid, you know. Like, he wasn't, like, so, you know, bold, you know. But he did. He went mm-hmm. over to her and he just really kindly just said, hey, you know, I know this is hard right now, but you can do it, kind of cheerleaded her. I, as a mom, that was such a proud moment for me. And I thought, mm-hmm. um, those are the kind of memories you want to have. You know, where he was uplifting someone in the midst of, or just post his own experience. So that's, that's really what I remember. I don't know if this is true or just my imagination has created this memory, but I remember, I thought I was in Costco and ran into you and was telling you about Aria and the dilemma. And, and you said, don't worry, Justin's been out five years. He's fine. She's going to do great. That was very profound for me at that moment. I was like, oh, 
okay, he made it so she can make it. So this can work. So it gave me that, that loft that I needed in that period of time. Anyway, that's my memory of you. And now we have new memories. Let's go into your, your arc, your story arc. What was your quote unquote ordinary world before you had your pivotal moment? My ordinary world was, it was perfect. I was, I was a nurse, mother, baby nurse, married my high school sweetheart, Dave. He's a teacher and he was the jock and I was the cheerleader, literally, you know, like I look back at our wedding photos and we look like we're 12. (laughs) We look so young and our life was so idyllic. You know, we got married, we bought a little house in the suburbs. We had our first baby, a little boy who was just the most angelic, sweet kind of kid, easy, one of those easy kids that tricks you into having more. So he was teaching, I was, you know, working as a nurse. And so we were very community oriented and uh, such a strong faith base. Our, our church was local in our neighborhood. It was so perfect. Perfect is the right word. Everybody was in good health and everything was going along in a lovely way. And then, um, Everything changed in a day. It just all changed in a day. Lisa and her family got their call to adventure when their perfect life suddenly took an unexpected turn. So I took Justin in for his kindergarten checkup and the pediatrician took one look at him and said, you nurses, you know how to take care of everyone's kids but your own. Wow. And I immediately started to cry because I couldn't see what he saw. As a nurse, my eyes were not trained to see what he saw. But Justin had his first bone marrow aspiration that day without any anesthesia in an adult oncologist's office, and I had to hold him because all of the nurses were on their lunch break. And we went home, sat by the phone, and received the news that Justin had acute lymphoblastic leukemia, the most common kind of childhood cancer. So there we were with Justin uh, entering that world where, you know, children who were bald and frail and pushing IV poles and in hospital gowns. And all of a sudden he was that child and we were parenting him through that. So it was the years to follow that really just kept teaching us, you know, and kept teaching me. He had a challenging first year, challenging in that all cancer treatments are challenging miraculously, he was only inpatient for two weeks out of that whole first year. And he was considered a high-risk case in that he had a high white cell count upon diagnosis, but he went Mm -hmm. into remission relatively easily and everyone was pleased about that. Lost his hair, he was all kinds of blood transfusions and platelet transfusions and all, just like the St. Jude's kid poster child, you know. But then a year later, he started maintenance therapy. You would never have known he even had leukemia at that point. And so three years into that, we, he finished that up. We added another child into the mix. And so we had our boy and two girls. And we were running around like most American families where, you know, sports and activities and church and all these fun things. And it felt good. It felt like, you know, we had beat the odds. He beat the odds. We're, we're doing it in the 80% cure rate. And cancer really became a thing of the past. I didn't want anything to do with it. I didn't join any support groups. I didn't read about it or think about it. It was just, you know, wasn't a thing anymore. In the middle of Justin's eighth grade year, I was pregnant with my fourth baby, my oops baby. 
which, uh, you know, I was always judgy about women who like had babies at 40. And I, you know, I was like, I'm never having a baby at 40. And then there I was, you know, 40 having my fourth. And so that was very humbling. <laughs> so I was adjusting to life with this new baby and, and our family adjusting to all of that. And all four kids caught the flu and Jessica got better and Joelle got better and baby Jacob got better, but Justin did not. And it was discovered that his leukemia was back and it was back with a vengeance. He was on treatment for five months and relapsed again and was on two weeks of the hardest chemo he'd ever had when he developed a condition called ARDS, Adult Respiratory Distress Syndrome, and was in the ICU struggling to breathe. The moment when can manifest in various ways. Sometimes it comes in a whisper. Sometimes it comes in a storm. For Lisa, it arrived as a mystical message she could hardly believe. The, the most pivotal moment for me was the night that he was in ICU and I fell asleep next to him, uh, next to his bed. I was sitting in an uncomfortable chair and had my feet propped on the bed and I was just kind of leaning back. And I dreamt that I was at his bedside and that he was being resuscitated and that I was hmm. standing at the door of his room with my hand on the steel cold door frame of his, of his room, just standing there watching him being resuscitated and that I yelled three times to let him go. Hmm. And then the next morning in real time, the intensivist came in and told us, told Dave and I that Justin would need to be intubated, that his breathing was becoming too labored. We went into the room next door and prayed for him. And honestly, what my prayer was that if he were to recover from all of this, this, this more chemo that was ahead as he was being prepared for a bone marrow transplant and more isolation and more suffering, that if he was going to endure more suffering and not live anyway, that God would take him. I just asked for mercy. I asked for him to not suffer. And we, we, we each prayed. My brother was there as well. And while we were in that room, I heard them call a code blue. And I ran over to the door, held on to the steel cold door frame, and watched them resuscitate Justin and yelled, let him go, let him go, let him go, just as I had seen in my dream. Lisa began to understand that dreams could come true, though they may not be the kind she wanted. She wondered and questioned what had happened to her. How was she able to receive this information prior to Justin's death? This began a new chapter of questions, and it was also a chapter of learning how to grieve this tremendous loss. Death teaches us, and, and so what it, as a nurse, I had seen it, I had picked I did with you know babies old people every age in between I had seen what death looked like for another person I really did not know or understand what it was until I lived without Justin for first a day and then a week and then a month and then years and now it's been 17 years and death is still teaching me in those early days when my grief was fresh I was in so much pain all I wanted to do was die you know I would lay in bed at night just asking God to take me in my sleep but this was too painful I couldn't do it. And, and even though I had three healthy children grieving as well and my husband, I, all I wanted to do was be on the other side. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, the other side mattered. Like, what is heaven? Is it real? What does it look like? How, 
you know, can I connect? How does all of this make any sense? I think when, when tragedies like this happen, I had to make sense of things. I'm Belinda Lambs, and this is The Moment When. Today we're talking with Lisa DeLong about the pivotal moment when her son, Justin, died from cancer. When a dream became reality, she was awakened to a new awareness about life, death, spirituality, and mindfulness. Her story continues. Jacob was just a baby. Jacob was nine months old when Justin died. He was probably about 18 months old by this time, and we had moved from the house that Justin grew up in to another house because I was afraid that there was something in the house maybe that would would have contributed to his relapse. Mm -hmm. I had it tested for electromagnetic fields. I had it tested for asbestos, uh, the water, everything. And so I just thought, I I can't raise another kid here. I've got this little baby. I've got the girls. So we moved, and we were in the new house, and there were boxes all over the floor, and the girls and Dave were at school, and I was home alone with Jacob, and I was just staring at the portrait of Justin that we used for his memorial. It was on the floor, leaned up against the wall, and I just couldn't stop thinking about him, and I kept staring at his picture because I didn't want to forget what he looked like. Mm. And and I looked over at Jacob, and I, I had this thought. I thought, I am not going to love this baby. I'm just, I'm not going to love him. I'll make it look good on the outside. I'll take really good care of him, and no one will know that I don't love him fully. <laughs> But I'm just wow. not going to do it. I'm never, ever, ever, ever going to let myself love like that again. It's too painful. I can't ever risk that again. And all of a sudden, Jacob crawled up on my lap, and he slapped me across the face as hard as he could. Like, just pow, whacked me across the face. <laughs> and then he grabbed my cheeks, and he forced me to look in his eyes. And, and I realized that I was not making eye contact with him. But he looked in my eyes, and I knew what he was saying. He was saying, I'm here, love me. I'm here, love me. And he literally was in my face. He was too young to talk, but Mm. that's what I knew. And so, of course, I just hugged him and slobbered all over him. I was crying and snot coming out my nose, and I just rolled around the floor with him and kissed him. And and I thought, why would I think that? I'm not going to fear my own kid. I'm not going to fear loving my own kid, you know. My biggest fear when Justin was first diagnosed was if he died, I would live without joy. Like I would just live a joyless existence if anything happened mm-hmm. to my kid. And then over time, and, and in that moment with Jacob and many more moments like that with Jacob, I realized that I could still feel joy even though I was in so much sorrow. And so that fear of living a joyless existence really dissipated pretty quickly. And I, it didn't mean the sorrow wasn't there. It just means that they coexist. Lisa continued to examine and revise her beliefs about life. One such belief was the idea that lightning doesn't strike twice. The odds are in our favor. If we are visited by a tragedy, there is a high probability that it will never happen again, right? That belief was shortly revised as well. About four years after Justin died, I was giving back to the community. I felt a flicker of, like, I'm I'm a nurse. And so it felt good to want to take care of people again or even care about anybody else again, you know. 
I became a bereavement facilitator so I could help other um, grieving families. And I was at a family arcade night, which was one of my roles as the family outreach coordinator to put these parties together for families who have kids with cancer. And so I was surrounded by all these families who I knew who had kids with cancer. And I got a call that Jacob, who was then six years old at the end of his kindergarten year, that he had leukemia too. And I just thought, I cannot do this again. There is no way, and there's no way I should have to do this again. I've done everything right. Like, what is this all about? And I remember the first time around with Justin, when he was first diagnosed at five, I thought, bad things happen to good people, right? And I thought, well, I'm not immune, you know, I'm not immune. And so I felt much more accepting of the experience. So the second time around, I was like, oh, hell no. (laughs) This this is one big, fat, major fuck-up. It cannot happen again. It can. It just, it's so unjust. It's so unfair. And and also because my eyes were wide open to how painful this was going to be to my daughters and to my husband and to my family. You know, like, oh, my God, it was just too much. And so... I remember I walked out the door of the arcade and I sat down on the grass. I just, it's kind of like my legs just gave out. I couldn't bear my own weight. And I just, this is so trippy, but I looked up at the sky and there was a sky riding airplane going by and it wrote 666 across the sky. Oh my goodness. What the heck is that? Why am I seeing this right now? And I can see it in my mind right now. Like it, like it happened yesterday because it was so trippy. Jacob was six years old. And the day, that day when I was looking up in the sky was 6606 when he was diagnosed. To me, it was a you're not alone moment. We see what's going on in your life moment where there was literally a message written across the sky for me to feel at some point, not then, because at that point when I saw it, I was like, oh, my God, is that the devil? That's the devil's number and all these things, you know, and I just was so freaked out. But later over time, I started to see more and more synchronicity in my life. Like when I tell that story now, I'm like, man, that is so awesome. Because there was more going on to help make all of that synchronize. His age, the day of diagnosis, all of that now is such comfort to me that there is so much orchestration that goes on in our lives so that we can have the experiences that we came to have and Mm. experience greater wisdom. It's all about expanding spiritual awareness. That's all it is. In the moment when you're having those things happen, you just can't help but pause, right? And think, what is this about? The DeLong family experienced deja vu as they re-entered the oncology world of bald and frail children, pushing IV poles and hospital gowns, just as they had 10 years before, this time with their second boy. We went in the doctor's in the exam room and the doctor told us that it was leukemia, and we just freaked out. Dave slammed his fist against the wall, and I, I just let out this gutter or wail like I was a wounded animal. I had no idea I could make a sound like that. And Jacob got so scared that he, he pulled off his ID band, and he threw it at the doctor, and he said, I'm calling 911 on you. <laughs> and it was so, it was so funny. 
You know, and I was like, that's the way, Jacob. You know, you're a fighter. That's right. We're going to fight this thing, you know. <laughs> I feel for the doctors and the nurses that were working with us that day because I just thought, man, I hope somebody has their back right now because we're, we're like mama bear and papa bear, right? You know, we are freaked out. We are so freaked out. We're going to scratch and resist anybody that tries to hurt our kids. <laughs> And, and full, you know, fully aware of what this disease was going to be like, what this treatment was like, and what, and right. what the outcomes could be, you know, terrifying. You're listening to The Moment When. We are a fan-funded podcast. If you derive value from these shows, then join our support team by becoming a patron. Just go to patreon.com slash Belinda Lambs to become a monthly supporter. For as little as $5 a month, you can make a huge difference. Links are in the show notes. Today we're exploring death, tragedy, and how it changes us with my guest, Lisa DeLong. Although she was not spared the double strike of tragedy, Lisa was given mystical messages, foreshadowing, and synchronicities as she traversed each ordeal. The day that Justin died, I remember being in the ICU and we were standing around his body and his oncologist came in and, and I was holding Jacob in my arms. I, I looked at her and I said, tell me this can't happen again. And she said, you know, no, it won't happen again. It's not that kind of leukemia. But I also remember there was a woman when Justin was, well, after he relapsed, we were at City of Hope. Dave met a woman in the elevator who said that she'd had two kids, her daughter, had aplastic anemia and died. And then years later, her son also had aplastic anemia and died. And so he came back and his eyes were like wide, like a deer in headlights. Justin was 15 and we're hoping he's going to survive this thing. So to meet someone who'd actually lost both of her children was so scary. I don't even want to know that information, you know? Right. And and yet, and I remember this, I was sitting in the IV room with with Justin and I looked over at Jacob because he was in the stroller and I I just had this thought like oh my goodness like that's a possibility like that could even happen Lisa's perfect life had shattered in many ways her Christian background slowly faded as she quietly retreated inward no longer finding solace in church she used that time to read anything she could about grief death heaven, and near-death experiences, searching for comfort and reassurance as she weathered these new storms. And I just wanted something to quiet my mind when I was in major freakouts. And so the one scripture that remained in my memory bank, only with this one, there were no others at the time, he has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and a sound mind, 2 Timothy 1.7. And I was so surprised that I remembered it. I was at Children's Hospital, and Jacob was receiving a difficult treatment, and I went into the bathroom stall, and I was just crying, and I just thought, I can't, I can't bear this. It's hard for him. It's scary. I don't know if he's going to live. You know, I was just out of my mind for a while. And all of a sudden, that scripture came back, and I put my face in the corner of the bathroom stall. It was a corner stall. It was like one of those big handicap ones. And I just wedged myself into that corner and and kind of leaned my head against the wall. And I just said that scripture over and over and over and over and over again. 
until I could compose myself and gain some strength and composure to go back into the room where, where Jacob was. And I love that. I love that scripture because I think it's the most truthful, the most truthful words that resonate with who I am now that I am not fear. I am love and I am power and I am a sound mind. So it, it really, um, it really helped over the next few months when it, as Jacob was going through treatment and, and, and he got very, very sick. Lisa knew that bad things could happen to good people. She knew that lightning could strike twice. And she also knew that she had a threshold where enough was enough. Again, she experienced another moment when. This was another pivotal moment along the journey, the crazy journey, was when he, he developed a condition called VOD, veno-obstructive disease. And he was basically bleeding out. His gums were bleeding. His liver had become so toxic from the chemotherapy that he'd been receiving that his liver was holding on to platelets, the portal vein that runs through the liver. When this happens, um, starts, just starts holding on to platelets, and platelets are what make clot cause our body to not bleed. And uh, it was shunting all of the fluid and platelets in his body backwards. And Oh, my gosh. Um, he was very, very sick, and his oncologist sat us down and said if he doesn't start urinating in the next 24 hours that he's not likely to survive. Dave went back to Jacob where he was, oh, he was having difficulty breathing, and they were packing his gums because they were bleeding, and it was just so intense. And I, I remember walking out the door of that room and walking down the hall at Children's Hospital L.A., and there's these big windows that open the giant ceiling, the floor windows, and I looked out. I put my hands on the window, and I and I saw the Hollywood sign, and I see Sunset Boulevard, and cars buzzing by, and, you know, a woman pushing a stroller, and a man with a briefcase, all these things. It was like all this life going on out there, and I just thought, what the hell am I doing in here again? I can't do this again. <laughs> and I raised my fist to God, and I said, "Quit picking on my boys." And I just cried and cried and cried and all of a sudden I felt the sense of peace pour over me from the crown of my head to the bottom of my soul and I knew that Jacob would live it's like it came into my body in my marrow I knew it in my marrow that he would live this was another one of those very profound spiritual experiences where I thought what is happening I felt completely euphoric I thought how can I be this happy when my son is dying what is happening <laughs> and I I didn't say anything to anybody I'm sure if anybody who saw me if there was somebody walking by they probably thought I was crazy because I was just crying and then I'm standing there frozen and then I'm looking totally smiley and it was just I mean I can only imagine what I looked like <laughs> and I walked back to Jacob's room he looked exactly as he did when the doctor told us the news I just sat there next to his bed and and waited. I just thought, okay, here we go. I'm waiting for the show. Show me how he's going to live. Because I know he's going to live. It's just a matter of time. So let's do this. It was such an intense confidence. And I didn't say anything to anybody until Dave's this experience. I just totally kept it to myself. And at about three in the morning, Jacob woke up 
saying, Papa, I have to pee-pee. And so we both, you know, kind of fell out of our chairs, and Dave held the urinal there, and I'm telling you, like, the sound of warm liquid on that plastic urinal was the <laughs> sweetest sound <laughs> any mother could ever hear, any parent. And then that, he just kept peeing, and all night long it was like a PPV relay, tra- relay team, you know. We were dumping it, and, and then at one point the urinal was so full that Dave held it up high, and he said, liquid gold, baby, like, this is it, you know. That's right. And the next day the team came in, the medical team, and they thought his Jacob chest x-ray had been mislabeled because all of the fluid that had threatened his life the night before was completely gone. And wow. They fully, they fully expected to come in and find out that he had expired through the night. That's how sick he was. So later, when I wrote Blood Brothers, my book, we gave a copy to Justin's intensivist, Dr. Arsinui um, at City of Hope. And he said, when I got to that chapter about Jacob, he said, I thought I was going to read that he died too. Mm. Because in my 20-year practice as an intensivist, I had never seen anyone survive VOD. We got our miracle. We really did. When bad things happen to good people, people often come to a new understanding of the way life works in an attempt to reconcile their cognitive dissonance. In her journey through precarious terrain, Lisa came to her own conclusions from a wider lens of interpretation. Our kids come to us with their own agenda. They come with their own soul plan. And Jacob's was to be this leukemia victor and at that moment and, and stay with us. It's just, that's all it was. And Justin's life was fulfilled. How do you see death? It's simply fulfillment. It has nothing to do with, as a, as a parent, it has nothing to do with us. And, and, and other than just to teach us, just to be an experience, but we don't have control over it. We didn't do anything wrong. It's just their own timeline. So for about the past 10 years, you know, I had dreams where Justin visited me. Sometimes I would just know stuff. Um, I'd have the sense that he was there. He was never not there is what started happening. I just didn't know it. After he died, I had uh, three different encounters with people who had gone to mediums and come to me and said, I know you don't believe in this stuff, but one of them specifically said, tell your friend Lisa that if she comes, he'll come. Justin will be here and talk to her. And that happened three times. The third time that it happened, I could not deny it anymore. And I went to see a medium. As soon as I sat down with him, Justin came through and He's a Christian man who'd had this ability to connect and had fought it his whole life because he didn't really want it either, and he was afraid. And anyway, he finally accepted it. That was the first time I ever went to see a medium. At that time, it was the most healing experience I'd had. So this thing that I had taught to fear, especially in the Hispanic culture, it was like, no, 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 I Dios mío, you don't go there, you know, no Ouija boards and that kind of thing, just don't do it, you know. And then, of course, in the in the Baptist church I was in, uh, same thing. You don't go see a medium, you know, and tell anybody. And so over time, I mean, it's been 17 years since Justin died, and so none of this happened quickly. About 10 years ago, I started uh, meditating and inviting Justin uh, through free writing. I learned from other mediums how to do this and started putting it into practice. It was a free writing exercise with Justin that led me to my speaking career. I was 
totally freaked out about work and how I was going to get a job and what to do with the story and the book. It was not an easy book to sell. And I was quite tired of trying and I was just really fatigued about, you know, talking about cancer and death and all this stuff. And I was interviewing for a coaching job in the healthcare field and I don't really know what I'm doing. I just really want to speak, but they weren't hiring speakers. And so I did this free writing exercise and um, what, what I wrote was, what he told me was, mom, you're not going to be employed, you're going to be deployed. And so while I was on an interview for, with this organization, the gal interviewing me said, uh, just so you know, with some of our staff, uh, both our speakers and our coaches, uh, we, use, we have what we call our deployment team and we deploy you out. Were you just laughing? Oh my gosh, I was in my kitchen and I started dancing, like jumping up and down. And I was cheering with Justin. It was like in my head, I was like, Justin, look, look, I got it. I got it. That's the word. It was the word that I needed to stay moving forward with this company because it wasn't obvious. It's like following the little breadcrumbs, right? You just keep going. And, but it was that word that stopped me from saying, no, this isn't the job for me. I'm not going to go further because it didn't make sense at the time. But then that word made me say, okay, sure, I'll interview for a coaching position. Sure, I'll attend your conference. Sure, I'll meet your top speaker at the end of the day. And he liked my TED Talk because I gave a TED Talk and complimented me on my TED Talk and asked if I was on their speakers bureau. I was told you're not hiring speakers. And he said, well, I'd like to think you're the kind of person that a company like ours could make room for. Nice. And I was on their two weeks later and filling in it just all happened just like that you know our loved ones on the other side see the bigger picture they're still connected to us they love us it's benevolent they want to help us and if we get into the right mindset about it they can and so that was a really pivotal moment for me because there were so many times when I was doing these free writing exercises and or having a dream or something, you know, and I was like, you know what, I'm just making all this up to make myself feel better. <laughs> Those kinds of things just happen more and more and more. And so I'm, I'm a synchronicity junkie. If I don't get a hit like every day or every couple of days, I'm like, what is happening? Like, come on, Justin, come on, spirit team, hit me. <laughs> I, I, I want the excitement. I love the thrill of being connected. As goes the myth. After a hero goes through a challenge and wins a decisive victory, they also receive an elixir comprised of rewards. With this elixir in hand, they begin the journey home as a new version of themselves. Not only have they learned new lessons and been through a transformation, they now bring these gifts to others in their ordinary world. Yeah, so he works with me, and uh, I'm becoming more open about that. I'm starting to share that, actually. The workshop that I'm starting to give is called... um, from child loss to channeling, oh, how so to cool. become your own medium. Yeah. And that's like as of two weeks ago. <laughs> wow. Yeah, this is all new stuff. So how can people participate in that? I don't have anything on the calendar yet, but I will soon. And mm-hmm. uh, any information and updates will be on my website, which is lisasolistalong.com. I also started a... Uh, philosophy that I call cage-free thinking. Tell me about that. It was inspired by my chickens. Started raising chickens two years ago. And the first time I let them out of their cage, they just went flying and flapping their wings and like jumping in the air and kicking each other. And it was just the cutest thing. And they were so 
celebratory and exuberant. And I just thought, this is how we should live. Like, what cages have we built for ourselves? What cages have we built around our mind? And it was just a great metaphor for uh, some of the spiritual teaching I was hearing and from other uh, leaders and teachers in the New Thought Ageless Wisdom world. And it made me start looking at my own, every time I'm in a situation like where I have a decision to make or if I place judgment on someone or something, I think what beliefs have I created around this situation or person that have limited my mind and my perspective? So it's also a something that I'm starting to teach is that practice of just sitting with looking at your thoughts and identifying them and becoming cage free in your thinking. And again, these are all brand new things that I just started. I never thought I'd be, you know, teaching meditation and channeling my son, (laughs) but here's the third piece that's going to, that totally blows my mind. And that is cannabis. Cannabis came into my world two years ago when my daughter moved to Oregon and she met weed farmers, cannabis farmers, who found out she had a leukemia survivor brother and they said, get him on CBD right away. He needs to be taking CBD. It prevents cancer and supports the immune system. And so they sent me all this information about the endocannabinoid system and how it affects the immune system, everything, the health benefits of this plant. And I just thought, oh my goodness, I'm a medical professional. How do I not know this? Why is this not mainstream? So the more I learned, the more, again, I just followed that curiosity. And so now I'm in the process of becoming a cannabis nurse. So I'm in the cannabis world of people who take the plant seriously and who acknowledge the intelligence within the plant, which I love. I love plant medicine. I'm a voice for that now as well. So Justin helps me in all those things. My family is so supportive. Jacob's a senior this year. He just took his seen your pictures yesterday and uh, I I have room, I have room for this stuff now, you know, and I, and I want it all to be used for good. It's important. Well, you're doing it. Isn't life good that that we can have a conversation and laugh and be proud of each other and like joyful for each other as moms who have both experienced this, this, this devastation, you know? I left Lisa with a few thoughts about the way I see her essence as a hero. You have a yes in you, and it's guided you through all of this. When something has come that felt true enough, you said, okay, yes. Willingness to expand, willingness to abandon or, or jettison things that weren't working anymore, ideas, connections, involvements, whatever, that you were willing to release them. That's maybe a nicer way of saying it and become you. And that's a beautiful thread in your life that I see. And here you are, and who knows what's next, but you're here. And you help people, and you help yourself. You're, you're a gift. Thank you. Thank you. That's such a sweet observation, and I appreciate your mirroring that to me. I don't always see that. You know, in real mm-hmm. life, I'm just putting one foot in front of the other. And, uh, but you have affirmed what I would like to continue to see in myself and in my life. I, wa- I want to see more of that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write on a post-it. I'm going to 
put a yes on a post-it and I'm going to put it on a mirror and I'm going to remember what you just said to me so that when I'm freaking out about something, I'll be like, no, Belinda said, I say yes. (laughs) You can find Lisa DeLong at her website, lisasolisdelong.com. There you can learn more about her and discover her work with channeling, cannabis, cage-free thinking, her TED Talk, as well as order her book, Blood Brothers. The Moment When is produced by Soul Mind Productions. Music is composed by Jeff Lambs. We are a fan-funded show, and your contributions help to bring these inspiring stories to the world. You can show your support by becoming a monthly patron at patreon.com slash Belinda Lambs. You can also listen to other episodes at themomentwhen.me and your favorite podcast platforms. We welcome your social media love by following and liking us on Instagram and Facebook. You can find all those links in the show notes. Stay tuned for many more fantastic episodes coming out each month for your inspiration and transformation. Until next time, I'm Belinda Lane.